Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. I'm Michelle Martin. There's so many of these online trading platforms. I know because I go out there and seek them out. I, I try them out myself, you know, and I, I can see why they're so charming for new traders. You know, a lot of them offer one-click trading or easy access to complex investment products, features like very aggressive or emoji-filled phone notifications that make investing feel like a game. Um, but that can have devastating results for people who don't know what they're doing. And in a time like this, when markets seems so volatile. Every day you hear, okay, the S&P 500 has hit a new record and you think you want to get into the game. Should you be looking at trading or investing? Should you be looking at buying uh, to hold stock or should you be looking at buying because you're looking at changes in value and hoping to profit from those changes? In 2017, he quit his full-time job to build Scythe. He was a trader at UBS over in Hong Kong, so he's just the person to weigh in on today's topic. Scythe has a capital market service license and focuses on your risk appetite to build your portfolio. So time to say welcome to Dhruv Arora, founder and CEO at Saif. Welcome, Drew. Good morning. Good morning, Michelle. Thanks for having me over. A great speaking with you. So what are your thoughts? You know, at a volatile time like this, people may be wondering what philosophy should be driving what they do in the markets. What are your thoughts on trading versus investing today? I, you know, I've, as, as you pointed out earlier, I've been a trader and, and I think now I'm turned to an investor. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my best performing uh, assets even personally have been those that have been invested and invested over a long time. So as the saying goes, we believe that it's the time you have in the market rather than timing the market. All right. So you were once a trader at UBS. So what changed your focus? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you it, the, the stress it causes on a day-on-day-out basis, right? You know, you're, you're living in Asia, then you're, you're waking up to see how the U.S. market is doing. And then you realize that there are things which might not be, uh, you know, might, might be outside your control over a short duration. Uh, however... Uh, if you have a view and if you are happy to exercise that view mm-hmm. over a long duration of time, mm-hmm. uh, then the probability of success rises massively. Like if your view is technology is going to be the future, it would be great to invest in some technology stocks or get some exposure to that space and stay invested for the next, you know, five, 10 years rather than, you know, looking at it every two or three days. Because, you know, there are a lot of factors which can make a difference on a day-on-day basis. But over a long time, you know, the broader sector, the broader sentiments actually you know, far, far outweigh those things. Okay, so you can still have a view as an investor. Um, people wonder, you know, is, does investing mean that it has to be as boring as watching a paint, watching paint on, dry on a wall? <laughs> what do you say? <laughs> well, I mean, uh, blend it, blend it the two. We always say, I mean, as, as boring as it might be to watch the paint dry, it's going to be the most beautiful painting at the end of it, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, not losing your money is a good feeling too. Exactly. <laughs> so I was looking around and you're right, you know, the stress level of trading, I mean, for no judgment, of course, there are people out there who want to make money uh, looking yep. at, at price movements and, and are good at it. They know what they're doing, but there are lots of people who are newbies and making yep. these decisions in the dead of night, for example, when trying to look at the U.S. markets here in Asia. Um, yeah. So, no, and it's a, it's, a, it's a very good point, right, Michelle, because a lot of people, right, uh, there was this whole information difference which existed maybe 10, 15 years ago, right, where some traders believed that they could 
you know, get an advantage on other traders. But with information getting democratized in some ways, mm-hmm. that difference has kind of gone, right? So that room for the retail traders to beat institutional and the savvy guys who have super fast computers next to the exchange, I think that room is, is, is continues to reduce very, very significantly. Mm, interesting. So for those who are listening in and uh, who are dabbling in trading and looking for short-term high performance, is SAIF the platform that will allow for that? Uh, we traditionally don't advocate a short-term approach in our products. Our products are generally built, as we said, like a little bit for the paint to dry. It's a, it's a low-cost, uh, long-term solution. Now, when we say long-term, it's different for everyone. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking for something which is, let's say, for a few months, then probably size might not be the right platform. Having said that, if you're looking for something which is a few years or beyond, uh, then size might be a great platform. Our traditional advice is that, you know, your core investment should always be for the longer term. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you really enjoy the markets, it's probably okay if you take a small part of it for your active trading joys, stay at home joys. Yeah. But uh, I wouldn't recommend any investor, no matter, you know, um, how, how, how prudent they are to have a significant amount of their assets on, on day on day trading because the stress as well as the impact can be massive. And we saw this in March, right, where if you can lose 30% of your portfolio in two or three weeks, uh, this can be very, very uh, significant for, for any short-term trade. Mm-hmm. But people are also looking at Tesla and wondering, you know, these incredible gains and seemingly no real reason for those gains uh, yeah. in terms of output. Um, people want to jump on this seeming growth story of electric vehicles or Tesla being able to provide batteries for the future, uh, things yep. like that. So you're saying it's not a zero-sum game. You can do both. You know, you can trade a little with as a little hobby, I suppose, with money that you want to you're okay with losing and you can yeah. invest as well yeah absolutely i mean you know tesla could be a whole new interview on its own but <laughs> but, uh, but but obviously uh, a very fascinating story and, and that's also a power of you know the retail investing where there's money in the markets it's been chasing and there's a lot of short sellers which are getting squeezed um, and then there's a stock split coming as you might know right so yes, all these factors yes. coming into the aspects of yeah, so people want to know, okay, let, let's talk a little bit about Tesla. People thinking, they can, can they profit from a stock split? Uh, and what, what do you think is driving Tesla's performance? Is, is it the, the retail investors piling on as you see it? Uh, I think there are three aspects. One aspect is, as you mentioned, a bit of you know, the retail investors getting very interested given you know, it's, it's a very volatile stock. And, and retail investors traditionally, whether you're long or short, prefer stocks that have more significant views, right? Uh, significant moves because they can get that plus minus 10% in a day. Uh, the second aspect, I think, is, uh, you know, that view that a stock split will make it more attractive to more, even more retail investors. I feel that aspect is a little bit overdone because a lot of platforms today already offer fractional share ownership. Exactly, I yes. think. Yeah, so I think I think that's a little low. And I think the third factor, which I think to some extent is driving it, is is a blend of, you know, it's one of the most shorted stocks in history, right? I mean, there are massive outstanding shots. And, and there's a very popular term, which is called short squeeze, which means whenever if somebody shorts a stock, but the stocks keep on rallying, then they are forced to buy at any price, right? Mm. So there's a bit of a short squeeze happening. Mm. Um, and along with that, given that Tesla has been now profitable for, uh, for, for four consecutive uh, quarters, uh, they are likely to be included in the S&P 500, which would again mean a massive amount of inflow for all index trackers. So I think all these factors playing in uh, has led to that you know, remarkable move that you've seen in the stock. Now, whether it's justified, I'm not the right person to say because um, I remember I'm an investor, not a trader anymore. <laughs> but, um, 
but but I think for for anyone looking to realize the framework, you know, those are the reasons um, what what got us there. So okay, we know you're an investor, so you know, with that cap firmly on, how are you looking at the S and P's 500 rise? It's you know capped off the shortest bear market on record, just one yeah. month. It's taken five months for stocks to erase all their losses. This against a backdrop of economic contraction and job losses and uncertainty. So a lot of investors want to know where do we go from here? What what is your point of view? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, um, I'll be honest, right? If I go back like five months and say that this is what I expected of the markets, I would be lying. We did not, right? Mm. Uh, To be honest, I think this move, in my view, is still a little bit, as you correctly pointed out, different from the economic reality that we are in. So the way how I see it is that there is definitely money in the market, which is, you know, which is flowing in, whether it's retail, whether it's stimulus and so on and so forth, uh, which has led to this move up, right? Uh, I think uh, somewhere we started becoming acceptable to the new normal of living with masks and, you know, 5% rules and so on and so forth. Yep. Uh, but, the re- but the reality is that, in my view, there is still a dark side of the economic reality, which will probably unfold. Um, uh, we were hoping probably by this quarter, but potentially across the next, you know, a few quarters. So I am still of the view that, uh, you know, there is a possibility of a correction coming in the markets. But having said that, and, and again, if you put on, you know, so if, if I wear a trader hat, I'll be, again, very stressed, very concerned, right? But if I wear an investor hat and I'm, if I'm here for the long run, then it's okay. I'm, then I'm, in my mind, I'm prepared that, okay, there could be a 15, 20% correction. But because my horizon is three to five years and, or beyond, um, it's okay because in that duration, you know, we will recover and the markets will actually be higher than where they are today. All right. So investors also looking at the news and wondering if they can pull things from the news and apply it as insights uh, to grow their own portfolios. Uh, They're looking at Warren Buffett buying into Barrick Gold, uh, the gold mining company. What what do you see as drivers for gold's performance in today's environment? Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting, right? I mean, it is obviously, as you know, breached all-time highs. One of the good things about gold, it's always been the blend of, you know, the so-called safe asset, the safe inflation hedge, right? Um, fortunately or unfortunately, there aren't that many other options out there. Like once you get away from equities and you get away from bonds, it all comes down to gold, something that you can easily access more so now with ETF, so on and so forth. So I think that perception of having some sort of uh, a safe asset goes a very long way. And I mentioned the point of inflation hedge. I think that's also very relevant because as economies keep on printing more money, uh, somewhere the value of money itself starts reducing, right? So, so that to counteract that uh, rise in gold is something which is which is some normally is what you see, right? And, and we've seen this in the past, and I think this is this is a trend which will which will potentially continue. So our view, and even in our portfolios. We actually do have an allocation, you know, depending on the portfolio, approximately 10% in gold. Mm. And we would also recommend our investors, you know, if you're looking for a completely diversified portfolio, Mm -hmm. it is something that should definitely uh, be a component of your portfolio. Again, it it might seem it's the highest value now, but bear in mind, you know, that we are looking at a longer term perspective and and today's, you know, high is, is, is tomorrow's low, right, in some regards always. So. so when you say your portfolios look at gold, are they looking at the precious yeah. metal or an ETF into the mining companies or junior miners? We always and always just have an ETF into the metal itself. Uh, I think miners, etc., become interesting proxies. They have, you know, phases of outperformance and underperformance. Uh, but then you are adding another aspect of how the company is managed. That we anyway do when we look at, let's say, an equity ETF, right? So we want this 
part of our portfolio purely and purely to focus on the metal itself. So it's purely, it, it's the, we use GLD, which is, you know, purely tracking 100% into gold. All right. So at SciFi, I understand you offer portfolios. I checked it out myself and I have to say your onboarding is really terrific, really easy compared to a lot of other platforms that mm-hmm. I have tried. I almost parted with several thousand dollars just like that. Thank you. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Very good, very good. Yeah, because you ask us up front what our goals are and, you know, uh, we are, we're asked to declare our risk profiles, right? So that's how SIFE works. They offer portfolios according to self-declared risk profiles, investment experience and financial goals. So, for example, listener, you could aim for a lump sum of some $10,000 with a monthly contribution of $500. And from what I saw, that can be amended or stopped at any time, that monthly contribution, right, Dhruv? With Correct, no- absolutely. As There's no, no charges as little or as much as you want. Okay, wonderful. So the question then becomes, uh, how has your range of portfolios performed through the pandemic? Yeah, it's a very good question, right? So um, we designed our core portfolios purely based on risk, uh, where, you know, our view is that, in fact, risk is one of the few things that you can really control, right? I mean, returns, as you've seen, <laughs> they can be as wild as they've been in the last, you know, few months, right? Yeah. Um, so, so we have three portfolios. We have our global risk managed product. We have the REIT product, uh, as you know, the real estate case product. That went and live we in have, this year, right? The REIT Plus product? It went, yeah, it was in partnership with the Singapore Stock Exchange. It went live in April this year and has been doing remarkably well because, you know, markets have just gone one way since, since you know, the March, March kind of, you know, drop, right? Right. Um, and the last one is the Equity 100 product, so which, which we launched about, you know, about a month and a half ago with a heavier focus on technology. Uh, so both the REIT as well as the Equity 100, they have done remarkable. In fact, I was looking at numbers just last month, the equity 100 portfolio returned 6.5%. Uh, so that was just a one-month return. Um, now, I mean, I'm not saying that return is going to be for 12 months. Uh, <laughs> but the fact is that, you know, again, if you have a view which is heavier focused on technology sectors and a broader equity exposure, uh, that has done, done really well. Even with our broader um, equity, uh, you know, the risk aspect portfolios, uh, depending which portfolio you look at, across the last, like, three months, they have returned anywhere between 1% and about 6%, Right. So, you know, with, with, of course, the positive move in the market, uh, we have also, you know, uh, recovered, uh, you know, most of our losses and, and, and that has actually translated into, into portfolio performance for our users. Okay, so here's a big question. I don't know if you can answer it, but, you know, if I invested 500 a month from 20, was it 2017 when Saif began? Yep. Okay, and I... And I re- well, 2017 is we started, like, close group. We officially launched 2019 for, for public, yes. Yeah, so. 2019, the beginning of 2019. Middle of 2019, mid-2019. July 2019. Okay. Yeah. So if I invested 500 a month from mid-2019 in your highest risk portfolio, how much would my portfolio be worth? Um, I can run those numbers for you. Terrific. But uh, my, my approximate guess would be you'd be somewhere close to, I would say, give or take about 6,500 or so. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Little, little benefit from the forex. Little benefit from you know dollar cost averaging. Little benefit from your regular top ups. Yeah. So. Fantastic. Wonderful. Good to know. Okay. Um. I understand that ETFs are the core DNA of SIF. Is that true? That's right. I mean, we always believe in keeping our costs as low as possible, mm. and ETFs are an incredible tool to keep that cost low. You know that that cost that you can keep low. When you make your investments, that is your guaranteed win, right? That is your yep. guaranteed 0.2%, which is in your pocket, which which no one can take away. So Yeah, I remember the first time I traded, I bought, well, I invested, I bought $97 worth of stock, but the trade cost me $25. 
<laughs> exactly right which is which is why which is what we keep on saying to our users that you know don't forget those brokerage those platforms those are the charges right so. yeah exactly oh that was painful yeah. okay so when we talk about etfs there are a whole universe and i wonder i i heard about synthetic exchange traded funds and i wonder yep. do you use any of these no, we don't. In fact, uh, an, it's a conscious choice because if we start using synthetic, traditionally when they're synthetic ETFs, there is an intermediary counterparty which is, which is involved. And after, you know, as I was talking just earlier that I remember being a trader in, in 2008 on the trading floor at UBS, mm. uh, we remember how some of these counterparty risks can really, really blow up, right? So every ETF uh, which we take is the other, the opposite of synthetic. It's, it's called physical, where we actually the ETF goes and buys the underlying. So there is no real kind of counterparty risk, which is typically involved in synthetic ETFs, so on and so forth. So we, we don't invest in any synthetic. It's it's all all physical ETFs for us. All right. So a synthetic ETF for the listener is a exchange traded fund that mimics the behavior of a traditional ETF, but instead of using physical securities, it trades derivatives and swaps. And uh, Saif does not use this. So we heard about how um, Robinhood makes its money recently. I read a terrific article uh, talking because I was wondering why was it on some of these platforms that offer you nothing to make an investment. I mean, they don't they don't cost you anything. I was wondering how do they make their money. And we know yeah. that you know Robinhood actually it feels like they they shun shunt you towards specific products, and mm. um, I, I was wondering how how does Saif in terms of transparency what what do we understand about the, the the brokers that you use who do you use as a broker? Sure, yeah. So uh, we use uh, Saxo Markets, which is also a CMS license holder um, in 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 Singapore. So sorry, it's not CMS. They have the brokerage license, mm. you know, which is the relevant license for for the industry. Uh, and their sub custodians are, are HSBC for Singapore Securities and Citibank for U.S. Securities. So on our side, uh, we purely, purely our revenue is is based out of the asset management fees that we collect from our users. Uh, when you mentioned about Robinhood, as you know, you mentioned one of the big aspects, or perhaps the biggest aspect of their revenue is currently as payment for flow, where yes. their flow is, you know, given to some of the users and some other institutions, and they take a bit of a kickback from that side of things. Mm-hmm. We don't do that. We directly trade um, out in the exchange, and uh, neither does our, our broker, Saxo. So for us, the, the source of revenue is 100% uh, relied on the uh, AUM fees, which we charge from our users. So it's very transparent. You know what you're paying us. It's, it's all over the website. And, you know, it's, 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 it's accrued daily and charged monthly and something that you can see on your dashboard as well. I'm speaking with Dhruv Arora. He is the founder and CEO of Saif. Um, Dhruv, help us understand if, if Saif, I've heard you say in an interview, Saif does not react to market news. How then do you optimize your portfolios and maximize returns? Yeah, uh, great question, Michelle. So our view is that at least for the global risk managed product is to focus on, on matching the risk of the portfolio. So what we do is every day, every portfolio, no matter how big or small, we run Monte Carlo simulations uh, to assess uh, the risk of the portfolio. And this is a quantified number. We can actually quantify this number and say, hey, this portfolio has a risk of a 10% correction or a 15% correction, so on and so forth. Now, if you go back to the onboarding, that is where we users choose a particular risk level. Let's say you chose 7% risk, right? Our view would be to keep you as close to 7% as possible. Now, every day when we run these simulations, if there is a deviation 
from that 7%, we will rebalance your portfolios to bring it back within your desired risk level. A classic example of this would be what happened towards late Feb Mm -hmm. and early March when markets were going volatile. We rebalanced our portfolio where we sold equity uh, and uh, we, we bought bonds and some gold. Uh, So when the markets actually came off 20-30% in the month of March, our average portfolio was down only about 8 or 10%. It was down, but much much lesser than, you know, uh, the markets. The advantage of that is, you know, people who are interested for a long-term investment, they stayed invested. And as the markets have recovered, so have them to a very large extent, right? So I think, you know, that, that aspect, because you haven't lost that much because somebody else is looking at the risk of your portfolio, that keeps people more track of their goals and you know they don't lose sight of short-term moves and i think that is a very incredible and a very unique offering which which only size has and that is what some of our users really value because now most of them they have recovered many of them are even above the levels they were you know pre pre-covid all right. And as an investor, Dhruv, on a very personal level and someone with, a, you know, a, a platform that encourages other people to invest, how are you coping at a time like this when there's so much uncertainty, shall we say, and absurdity almost in the market? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, right? I mean, I think the last, uh, you know, four, five months have been very testing for the team. I mean, of course, there is so much happening in the markets. You know, you have clients coming out trying to ask you what's going on in the markets. Uh, but the reality is that when times like this happen, in a way, it's been a boon for platforms like us because a lot of customers, they start understanding the value why, for example, uh, you know, investing is better than trading. More importantly, a lot of people are realizing the value of why it's important that we invest and we start planning for our retirement because many people are thinking, hey, you know, if things can be so volatile, I have a stable job and within three months it can all change. I have to somewhere safeguard my future. Now, what that has led to for us in the last you know, three or four months, we have quadrupled in the number of users, uh, number of assets. And this trend, I mean, the last, you know, every month on month, we are just growing at a very good pace because users value what we have built, but they also value the need of having a low cost, transparent platform, you know, where I can put in money easily, I can remove any time, there are no charges, not like, you know, your unit trusts or other such setups on and so forth. Uh, so for us, you know, though it's been, uh, you know, long nights, uh, it's been very exciting and, you know, we're really thankful to our users to continue showing that trust and faith on the platform. Yeah, it's really great to hear uh, that more people are coming on board. And I think it's a great um, reassurance as well for new investors to know that in an uncertain job market, should they need to pull out, they're not going to be penalized as well. So, you know, kudos to you for that. Thank you, Drew, for joining us this morning. Thank you so much, Michelle. Have a good day. You too. Drew Arora is founder and CEO at SAIF. They're a digital wealth manager licensed by the Monetary Authority of Singapore. They have a capital market service license. This is Money and Me. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.